Welcome to the Productive Ministry Podcast. This is episode number six, Cultivating Leaders with special guest Ted Smith of World Impact. In this episode, you're going to learn how not cultivating leaders damages the church. We're going to talk about why the number one reason that people fail to mentor is time. We're also going to discuss how to equip potential leaders in your congregation. Don't forget to let us know what you think over at ProductiveMinistry.org and send this episode to a friend. And now, episode number six, Cultivating Leaders. Our guest today is Ted Smith, who is the Regional Director of Ministry for World Impact's Midwest Region, and you're also the Dean of the Urban Ministry Institute in Dallas, Texas. Is that right? Yes, I am. So what do you guys do exactly? Well, World Impact is a, we've been spending about four decades in the inner cities of America trying to evangelize, equip, and empower uh, people for leadership and for church planning in the inner cities. So we work in under-resourced communities across the country. I work specifically uh, in our Midwest region and also utilize uh, the Urban Ministry Institute, which is our formal training initiative. Uh, You could think Bible college and seminary for uh, urban leaders who may, for whatever reason, uh, may not be able to afford a formal Bible college or seminary. They may not have an academic background. We are not in the school business. We're in the leader development business. So we take seriously the call uh, to train up those specifically who have been identified by their pastor as an emerging leader, or they may be a pastor themselves who is uh, under-resourced. So I spend much of my time uh, trying to live out our vision statement at World Impact, which is to recruit, empower, and release urban leaders who will plant churches and launch indigenous church plant movements. That's the heartbeat of who we are and what we do. I think that one of the things you guys do better than almost anyone is that you cultivate leaders, communities that you're working in, and you're not just going into a community and then saying, oh, well, we're here and we're going to minister to all of you guys. And we're going to just do all the work, but you, you're actively looking for and seeking out people to, to cultivate into the next generation of leaders and pastors. And how do you start a vision like that? We take very seriously uh, the idea that we are moving parts. You know, we're missionaries and, and our call is really to uh, identify and recruit those whom God has called in their context to, to equip them and then to release them. Let them do the ministry. It doesn't have to be a world impact thing. It doesn't have to be a TED thing. It doesn't have to have my, my fingers in, in all over it, you know, and, and that's, that's really a challenge, I think, for all believers. How does that damage communities? Not just in like an urban context, but just church communities. Oh, well, it cripples us completely because what happens is that what we're really doing without knowing it is we're creating dependence on us. Right. So anytime we create dependence on ourselves and not God, that not only is theologically corrupt (laughs) and, and bankrupt for that matter, but when we leave then... We haven't helped people navigate anything. If if people are, and we see this in churches all the time, when a pastor leaves, uh, no matter how long they've been there, when the beloved pastor leaves who's led the church so faithfully for however many years they've been there, sometimes the whole church collapses. Oh, that's true. They yeah. go through a series of interim guys, or they they get quick, fast, in a hurry about replacing him. You know, just give us anybody thinking that, and here's where the thinking breaks down. The next guy will be able to do what the first guy did. 
And that's mm. not always the case. We all have different gifting. We have different wiring. And so the idea that, you know, well, I'll just call down to the local union and get another pastor to come out. And, right. and that pastor will be just as great as the last pastor is really just mythology. I think that really damages the church when we don't prepare the local community to exist without us. We are damaging not just the local church, but the kingdom of God. Wow. I mean, you can look, just look at Scripture and look at the, all of the people who spent the majority of their time investing in other people. You could just pull out Elijah and Elisha. You could think about Ruth and Naomi. You could think about Jesus and the Twelve. You could think about Paul and uh, the Dictionary of Paul and his letters, not to get academic, says that Paul has somewhere between 93 and 97 what he calls co-laborers in Christ or fellow workers, people mm -hmm. who he invested in. And, but we don't typically do that. We typically go into a setting and we work out of our knowledge base. We work out of our experience. We work out of our skill set. And we don't leverage or, or multiply ourselves in a congregation so that people get healthy, but their healthiness is contained and limited to their experience with us. How do we recognize that we're doing that? I think we really have to be self-aware. The New Testament writers would say things like, I think of yourself with sober judgment. We've spent, we need to spend more time thinking about ourselves who we are, who God has made us to be, how we're wired, and where we're really spending our focus, and evaluating whether or not what we're doing is working. And wow. and that's not rocket science. I mean, really, I mean, if we just, if we had the courage to look at the, our ministries or look at our our uh, our churches and just look at the size of them. Now, you know, this isn't a numbers game and all of that, but but Jesus talked about, you know, You'll be known by the fruit. You, you, you should be right. able to see when someone is being successful in what they're, what they're endeavoring to do. So, and, 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 and the reality is that healthy churches grow. Healthy churches grow. That's right. That's Sometimes right. not healthy churches grow, but mostly as a general rule, healthy churches grow. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that is the organic, the, uh, the agricultural sort of metaphors throughout the New Testament and really the scripture itself is the idea that, that the kingdom is like a seed that, that goes into the ground and it grows into this great tree and under the branches, everybody takes their shelter. And so, so those metaphors are dripping in scripture. Now, I get how hard our culture is right now, and I get how difficult it is, particularly in urban areas. That's my, I've been in urban ministry now for six, six years, uh, in Dallas has been my, has been my labor. And so, it's very difficult in suburban areas, and it's, it's hard in urban areas as well. This is not an easy thing, and it's not an overnight thing. Think about the Lord for a minute. So the Lord spent the better part of three years doing one thing, training 12 guys to take his place. Right. And one of them didn't make it, right? So yeah. if the Lord was willing to train up some people and then send them out for ministry, you know, sometimes we think about the Great Commission happens and at the end of the Gospels, you know, when when the resurrected Lord would, would send them out into all the earth, and we call those Great Commission texts. But he was ascending Lord all the way through the Gospels. And, and it wasn't about uh, so much the the capabilities of those disciples as much as it was a training opportunity for them. And of course, he sent them out equipped. You know, the, the scripture speaks 
specifically about that fact, that he gave them abilities to, to handle things when they would encounter them. Sometimes for me, it's really difficult to let somebody else do something because I know that they're not going to do it the same or as good as I can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's a big obstacle uh, when we're training leaders. We have to recognize that no one on the planet is exactly wired the way we are. They don't have our skill set. They don't have our temperaments. They don't have our educational background. They may or may not have our maturity level. In some some ways, they may be more mature than us, actually. So it's yeah. not a matter of better or worse, but different. And they will do things differently. But I think the number one factor, sort of the barrier to this is time. I think what any pastor listening to the podcast today I think the temptation would be, oh, that sounds great, Ted, but I don't have time to do that. Well, Mm -hmm. I think, again, the best thing that someone who is plagued by the time fallacy is to really just consider the work of the Lord. I mean, we, we like to think of the Lord as being active. We like to think of him, you know, daily going out and casting out demons or preaching or whatever. I would really encourage all of us to just really read through the Gospels and reflect on how much time Jesus spends alone with the disciples that he's training. Oh, yeah. We just don't value training other people. That's the truth. Uh, I I think we don't have the courage to think about our own uh, temporary nature. You know, the life expectancy of new pastors you know, these days is what, two, maybe five years if they're great. Uh, It's very rare that a pastor will be at the same church for any length of time anymore. And then just thinking that, you know, some of us just haven't gotten a firm handle on the fact that we won't be here in 30 years or 20 years or whatever your context may be. And we we just really need to think about beginning with the end in mind. I I would encourage us leaders today to have the courage to sit somewhere before the Lord and ask yourself a basic question. What does my ministry look like without me? Okay. (laughs) What's the post me plan for what's happening? And so if you think about from a principle standpoint, one of the key principles of our urban work at World Impact is We do not create dependency upon ourselves. The other factor is I just don't think we give enough thought to how much we're doing that we don't need to do. And in that way, time is not only a factor, but it's also a symptom. That's absolutely right. You know, it's it's the tyranny of the urgent. And somehow, particularly in ministry, this is hugely difficult for us because we think we're 24-7, you know, and and I know that there's people who... We brag about it. We brag about it. uh, And in private, we complain about it, right? But I, I get sort of the romantic notion of always being on. I also get the the heart of compassion that a lot of guys act and gals actually do have where they're so compassionate. They're so passionate about helping people that they just can't stand to take a day off from that. I think we really need to check ourselves and look at the Lord again. The Lord said to, could say to a whole community of people who were dripping in need, okay, y'all, I'll be back in a couple of days. I'm going up on the mountain with my boys for a while. Oh, yeah, that's true. He did do that, didn't he? He did it a lot. And and yeah. we don't we don't like to think about that. Ted, I never even could I never even thought about that in like a ministry context to say, oh well I'm gonna walk away. And it doesn't matter, like these people are, are hungry or they're tired or 
they have all these needs. I need to go up on the mountainside and pray or whatever. No, I think that's a good word because the Lord wasn't afraid to leave people in need behind. Because I think that he knew that, one, there's something about going away, being refreshed, getting connected back again with the Father, being rejuvenated, uh, being revived, if you will, uh, being recharged, that gives you the energy to walk back down the mountain and deal with messy people. Wow. No one, including the Lord, continuously lived with people who were in messy situations without taking some time away. Those of us who are married, just ask your wife or your spouse, what do I do that you don't think I need to be doing? And they will give you a list almost immediately. (laughs) They already have that list written. They They have that list. And for those of you who don't have spouses, your friends can help you do this. And they will speak. If they love you, they'll tell you the truth. And so this isn't... Now, some of us are so prone to guilt that we're already feeling miserable about it. But that's not that what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty or cause anybody alarm or anything like that. I just think we need to be real with ourselves. Yeah. Because this isn't at some point you will pass off how you handle this to the leaders you're developing and they will become like you. And hopefully that's a good thing. Hopefully it's a good thing, but they're going to take your good and your bad and they're going to mimic it as they form their own identity as leaders. So we just need to be careful. And, you know, I think just sitting down and making a list of all the things that you do in your ministry and in your church, and it doesn't matter. I've been in churches, the church I was in this weekend, we had a thousand in worship, right? So it's a big place. Uh, lots of people to do lots of things, but I've been in very small churches where there were a dozen of us, and we were trying to figure out how we were going to plan a church and who was going to do what. And you just have to recognize you cannot do everything, and you should not do everything, particularly one for your health, but two to train leaders. So let's say that I I'm a leader and I'm convicted. And I recognize that I want to start training leaders. So I guess the first thing that I have to do is, is identify them, right? Like that's your, that's your, how do I determine that? Yeah. So I would say, look for the people who are right in front of you. Sometimes we don't want to work with the people who are right in front of us for whatever reason. Right. We, we can't handle their level of brokenness or their immaturity or whatever it is they might think. We, have, we always have a tendency to look out, to, to recruit from outside. Uh, and I think sometimes the people that we could have the best impact with are the people who are in our circle of influence. Mm-hmm. There, there's something about going with who you know and, and develop them. Now, if they're willing, sometimes people are not willing to be let. So at some point, you're going to have to make a discernment whether or not this is a person who wants to be led and developed, or this is a person who doesn't want to be led and developed. So first, I, I look in front of me, right? And then the second thing that I'm looking for, once I've identified a group of people, is a willingness to be led. Absolutely. A willingness to be led. We, we talk about it in world impact terms as submission. But what does that mean? Well, it just means that you want a person who has a teachable spirit. You have a person who's willing uh, to be shepherded, willing to be led. You have a person who can be directed without feeling a certain way about it. You know, they can handle uh, responsibility. Uh, they don't mind you giving them direction. Some of the things that I do uh, and have done throughout the years with my work uh, with leaders is I test their faithfulness. 
the Lord says those who are faithful with little things can handle larger things. So we really have to have the courage to test people and and check out their faithfulness. You know, I can remember sitting to with one of the elders in the church that I planted a few years ago down in Fair Park, and we were talking about how we were going to identify uh, our deacons. And, you know, so we say to a guy who says they're interested in being developed, hey, why don't you come by, just set an appointment, why don't you come by and have coffee with me at such and such time, at such and such place, or grab a Coke or something. If they show up, they're on time, they're they're energetic, they're they're interested, that's great. But if they don't, if they have an excuse, you know, I've I've tried to lead a couple of knuckleheads in the past six years who they can't make it to any appointment that we set. They can't return phone calls. They don't show up. So, yeah. So I would look for the people who are in your immediate contacts. I would test their faithfulness to assess their interests. Life is going to happen to people. But if you have somebody who's chronically not interested in what you're trying to do, then, you know, shake the dust off your feet. and, And when you have to go outside, move out. Don't be afraid to move outside your circle. In my ministry, uh, we have what we call our associates, uh, who are world impact, basically independent contractors that we work with who have goals that they're trying to establish in urban context that we help them by way of resource. They are my best reach uh, to find others to develop Mm -hmm. because trust is transferable. These are not like Bible college students or seminary students. No, they're, they're... the people that I'm going after are uh, urban, bivocational urban pastors who, okay. I, who I don't want to just cold call and say, hey, let me swing by your office and talk to you about the Urban Ministry Institute or let me find out what your ministry is doing. The people who are in, who are my, my Tumi students, people in my circle of influence know people and they know people who want to be developed and uh, would welcome being developed. I ask them to introduce me to their friends and uh, colleagues who who they know are looking for some help. You're even developing church leaders who aren't necessarily going to work in your church. Absolutely. Listen, man, yeah. this is a kingdom thing. Yeah. I mean, we, we've got to get past my church, my ministry thinking and think about the wow. kingdom. Sometimes those people are going to leave and they probably should. And the Lord might call them. Uh, one of my most heartbreaking moments in the past six years of my ministry, uh, I was working with a person, and I, when I mean uh, walking with them, I mean an hour and a half, two hours of my time every week for a year and a half or so. Uh, and that person decided that they didn't want anything to do with our ministry or the, the activity. It was heartbreaking for me that they left. I poured my life, everything I had <laughs> in, into, yeah. into this person. And they were disinterested uh, at the end of the day because of, of some circumstances were that were beyond a couple of several people's control. Well, yeah. it just so happens that several years later, this same person is now meeting with me again about a church that they're planning. So having the courage to let people leave is a very difficult thing. And then trusting that, that God is still working in their lives, like in this situation where the guy goes away for a time. That's right. Um, and then he recognizes that there's a skill set that he's lacking yeah. as he comes back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I fall into the vernacular sometimes of talking about, quote, my guys. Uh, yeah. and, and I just mean that, uh, you know, I don't mean that as uh, territorially as it sounds, probably. It's just my way of identifying my circle of influence. It's really 
difficult sometimes to remain in that thinking that these really aren't my guys. They're the Lord's guys. And right. and the Lord is going to dispatch people wherever he wants them to go. And I need to be okay with that. And I need to champion them uh, to, to go and to be what God wants them to go and to be. Now, when I think about when I'm looking for like summer help or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm going to seminaries and Bible colleges and I'm looking for interns to work with me. Should I make that opportunity available to to someone in my congregation or in my community first? I think so. I think I think we have. That's a big. That's big. That's a paradigm shift. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just uh, I've had a number of interns and I've had a number of intern opportunities at churches and have not been able to sometimes fill those intern positions for a couple of reasons. Uh, mainly in our culture today, it's very difficult to get an intern from a Bible college or a seminary if you can't pay them. So I think going back to the question, though, and I, and I mean this seriously, is that, one, there's huge barriers, particularly for the smaller church, uh, mm-hmm. the, the under you know 50 church, the under 100 member church, and the church plant who's planning under-resourced community, small churches and church plants, very difficult for them to get internships. The second thing is, is that I think finding people who are already in your circle of influence and already have the DNA of your church, if you're doing your job as a leader, uh, the Mm -hmm. people who are around you already have the DNA of the church. And so if we could probably probably be a better use of our time to invest in the leaders, potential leaders who are already in our church, people who have shown signs of faithfulness, doesn't matter if they're faithful with being the janitor or, you know, driving a bus or being willing to say the offering prayer or whatever your context is, find those faithful people and train them. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you bring in somebody that you don't know who doesn't know your church for a small short-term internship? They're going to spend most of the time learning the culture so that they can be effective. Yeah. Discipleship is so important, man. And it I know is. that when I was in when I was in youth ministry, that I would I would often focus specifically on a group of kids who had that that willingness and yep. and that desire to serve. And the result of that sort of faithfulness is that almost more than any other ministry that I've been a part of, that the kids coming out of a youth group like that, that is cultivating them, that has actually asked them to be interns mm-hmm. uh, and asking them to work, has produced more. Uh, vocational pastors and missionaries than churches who don't do that. And, and that's a real experience. But let me go back to the beginning of this. You have to begin with the end in mind, right? So Absolutely. I have to have a clear vision of where it is that I'm wanting to lead these people and what it is that I want them to look like, right? Before I can equip them, I have to know what I'm equipping them for. Absolutely correct. So what am I equipping them for? You're equipping them to do what you're doing, which is to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. This is about discipleship. This is about multiplication. This is about reproduction. And so the leader who lives and serves in isolation uh, does not set his ministry or church up for life beyond him. It is a death sentence to the ministry because the guy who does everything will burn out. It's not... If it's when it's a matter of time, you have a breaking point and the enemy will help you find it and your body will help you find it. Right. 
But it doesn't have to go down like that. You have faithful friends. You may have a spouse who can help you identify some things that you need to let go of so that you can really focus. We should all be taking at least uh, one personal retreat day per month where we don't do anything but spend time with the Lord and think about how am I spending my time and my resources to develop leaders. Regardless of what's happening at church, regardless, following the example of Christ. Regardless, right. man, listen, uh, so-and-so is going to be there when you get back, man. The, right. the budget problem is going to be there when you get back. Trying to figure out what color you're going to paint the sign is going to be there when you get back. What kind of worship style you're going to have, that debate's going to be there when you get back. Take the time to get away with the Lord. Let the Lord develop you so that you can develop others and spend your time on the important things of the kingdom, not meaningless nonsense. So what if a person doesn't want that or doesn't know that they need that? I question the degree to which they could ever be effective. Yeah. Truly effective. So some people use different matrix, right? Because you said something that's important uh, a few moments ago when you said there are churches that grow that are not healthy. So anybody could find any matrix to justify what they're doing. But if you can look over your shoulder and there's not anyone following you who are up and coming leaders in the kingdom of God, you are simply not doing your assignment. And you can look past them even to say, if the people following you don't have people who are following them. That's right. right? That's right. Not only should you be able to look behind you and see guys, you should be able to look in front of you and see some guys who are leading you. Oh, yeah. The mentor has to be being mentored always, always, always. I have guys in my life right now who can call my phone at any time of day and ask me a series of key questions about my walk with the Lord, about my marriage, about my sin, about my stuff, about my health, you know, and and I need those guys in my life desperately. So we all need to have somebody in front of us. We all need to have people who are behind us. And we need those people who are at our right and our left, who are marching beside us and walking with us uh, through the seasons of life. So we we need those people in those key positions. And if you can't do it yourself, if you can't make the evaluation yourself, ask your good friends or or your spouse, you know, am I a good leader? Am I developing anybody? They know. So how do I equip them? What does that look like? Well, I think equipping them uh, really starts with having the courage to let them lead. You know, okay. we, we have such a tendency uh, right now in our thinking, many of us do, that I'm going to go to Bible college for four years and then I'll be ready, you know, to minister. Or I'm going to go to seminary for a number of years and then I'm going to be ready to minister. I think as soon as we can let people lead, we should let them lead. We should deploy them right now because because the tendency is to wait until we, quote, need them. And if you wait till we, quote, need them, then they're not going to be ready. I think we should in- invoke them at every level of our ministry as soon as we can yeah. because this there's no better way. You and I know this clearly. We didn't learn the things that we knew any other way than trying to do it. And the leaders that you lead are the same way. Now, are there going to be times when they need to sit in a class that, you know, at the Urban Ministry Institute or a Bible college or with you and you guys are reading through, you know, leadership principles or, or something like that? Absolutely. Are there absolute kind of objective things that that's about a knowledge base and a skill set, skills they need to learn? Absolutely. But there's no 
better way to learn to lead than trying to lead. So we just right. we need to have the courage to let them lead. Now, I have to tell you in just total candor that I've messed this up a couple times uh, where okay. I where I told people prematurely what I saw in them and they weren't prepared to hear it. So I've seen this go bad. So you really have to be diligent and you really have to be discerning. But I would look for the faithful people that you are leading up. And as soon as you discern that they're capable of hearing it, I would paint the picture of your ambition for them. I would paint the picture of what you see them doing, the gifts that you see that they have. What right. what because they probably cannot see it. You know, some of us know Dr. Halen over at Dallas Christian College and uh I can remember where I was standing the day that he said to me, you know, you could go get your master's degree and come back and be a teacher here. Hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And sure enough, that's what happened. And so hmm. he saw that in me. I never saw it. So sometimes leading people is painting a picture of themselves that they cannot see and to feed their imaginations. So first, you know, I'm beginning with the end in mind, like you talked about. Yeah. Like I have a, I have a vision for what I want my church to look like. You say what the plan for your church is when you're not there, when you're not part of it. And then I start um, identifying people who can meet that need or live in that vision by identifying people who are around me, right? And recognizing the potential for that inside of them. And then the next thing that I'm doing is I'm speaking that vision into their life. Absolutely. And right. you're and, I'm letting them in. Yes. And you and you want to give them assignments that they can begin to lead. OK. And you're going to walk with them through the process. You're not going to you're not going to micromanage them. You're not going to look over their shoulder every day mm -hmm. or every second. The other extreme, you're not going to walk away completely and say, well, call me in a couple of weeks or so and I'll check in with you. You're going to be there to walk with them through the experiment. That's scary for me as a church leader especially in a culture of, of perfectionism where everything is is such a high standard of production and such a high standard of of the way that that we put things together because it means I have to be willing sometimes for a new leader to mess up. So I'm I'm putting them in a position of leadership. I'm trusting them to do do the work, but I know that they don't know how to do it yet. Yeah, and and I would think that that you they want to you need them to have some measure of competence or faithfulness to what it is you've right. asked them to do. I mean, I'm not just saying somebody's never taught a Bible class, you stick them in, you know, day one or something like that. There there right. has to be some discernment of what they're capable of. And I appreciate yeah. the fact that, one, there is sort of a standard of excellence, which we should honor. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Two, we have to recognize that we're in the sheep business. So our number one responsibility as shepherds is to protect the sheep. So we don't want to put somebody who's not capable of leading sheep in a sheep leading enterprise. So we want to be uh, diligent about that. But the thing I, that I think the main reason why we don't do this is that we don't want other people to lead. We want to lead so we get the credit. Oh, yeah. This is more about us than it is about them at the end of the day. Yeah. It's about who gets the credit, who gets the pat on the back. And you could read Ecclesiastes and, and you could just see the lament that the teacher has over the fact that he's going to have to entrust everything he's worked for 
to a to the next individual who may not appreciate it and and destroy it. And that's the truth. I mean, the Jesus left the church in the disciples' hands, equipped them with the Holy Spirit, resourced them in that way, but it's it was up to them to carry on. Right. It is a very scary thing. It's a very vulnerable thing for a leader to do. So you've got to make sure you've got the right people. We're talking about making sure that you have the right people. I think that if we're being completely just candid here, Yes. And we're talking about church leaders, like we're going to pick people that we like. And above that, like people that, that really like us. Yep. I think we have to get past all of that. Somehow we have to, before the Lord, ask the Lord to strip us of, of any prejudice that we have when looking for leaders to train up. Because even if, right. you, if you had a handful of people who really loved you and, and were competent, well, okay, what happens once the ministry grows beyond them? At some point, mm-hmm. we're going to have to deal with the unknown factor uh, and work with new people and begin to make relationships with them. And I think that if we're not careful, we end up making disciples, like I would make disciples of Rocky and not disciples of Christ, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's sort of the double-edged sort of it, because you will make leaders after you. I mean, you know, they will look like you in some way. They'll talk like you in some way. They'll have your temperament in many ways. But what we really want is for them to develop past that and to be students and followers of Christ. What they should be doing, uh, they should be doing in response to the Lord, to His call on their lives, not ours. And helping them recognize that and and find that is really the the key part of leadership. I also think that there's a temptation. I mean, I guess if we're not careful, they can become really dependent on us. When you have that sort of mentor-protege relationship, I've seen where people that I've uh, mentored sometimes have gotten to this point to where they're they're like calling me and asking me, you know, what would Rocky do in this situation or or how should I handle this situation? And it creates this dependence on me. So how are, what are some ways that I can redirect? Sometimes now, not every time. This is all just discernment process, but there are some questions that we should just say to them, you know what? That's a really great question. Let me encourage you to read this or this, but you're going to have to make up your own decision. And we're going to have to let people figure out how to make those tough calls themselves. Yeah. It's great that they call us. You know, I have students from from previous years who, you know, eight, nine, 10 years later will email me from time to time and ask me a question. And I'm, you know, I'm glad to give some opinion, but at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, you're going to have to make some, some choices. And so we want to train people for that. You know, they need to know that we are approachable, but we're not always going to bail them out. And that's very difficult to be in Christian ministry and to have a, have an attitude like that. I'm blown away. Like, you know what I'm sitting here thinking right now, Ted, is how can you be a leader and do that in somebody's life if you're not praying? Well, and what will paralyze us is that, well, what if I make a mistake? Mm-hmm. Well, we're human beings. We're going to make a mistake. You know, we're, we're praying and we're discerning, but we may make the wrong call. That's a matter of trusting the Lord. Does the Lord have this situation or does he not? And if he yeah. does, then he's not dependent on us to make the right decision or the wrong decision. So we need to give ourselves some freedom to grow uh, in all of these principles of, of training up leaders uh, for the glory of God, I think. Okay, so let's back up here for a second. So yeah. I begin with the end in mind, like I have this vision for 
you know, the kingdom of God, disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. And I look into my immediate group, right? And I identify people who are, who are teachable and, and who are qualified and who have uh, certain skill sets, right? And then I'm equipping them to do all of those things. Let's, let's get to the end of this. In your context, it means you're going to have church planners and you're going to have people who are discipling, discipling people who are discipling people. But what about like in your small group? At the end of the day, we're not worship leaders and we're not pastors and we're not elders and deacons and we're not Sunday school superintendents and we're not, you know, the school bus driver. We are disciples. And so the key interest should be, how do I help the bass player in the band recognize that plays a mean bass, but he's a follower of Christ who should be helping others to follow Christ, who can help others to follow Christ. And so I I don't make a distinction between whether they're in quote-unquote ministry or a paid role or a vocational role or whether they're just a member of the church. The goal for all of us is to follow Christ and to help others to follow Christ. Now, with a small group, I would say specifically, though, in the area of of being a small group leader, we started a small group at the church that I attend yesterday. It was the first day. We, att- we started a small group. We had nine people. Uh, and I know that my first order of business as a small group leader is to find my co-teacher, who is the person that I'm going to find, my apprentice that I'm going to train to take my place. The first day, I'm looking for that person. And I'm also looking for someone who's going to be the prayer, uh, the prayer chain email coordinator, who's going to be the fellowship coordinator, who's going to be, because I'm not going to do everything for the small group. I'm not going to be leading in all those different areas. And actually, the first day, there was a guy in the class who, when he made comments, was intelligent. He seemed like he had some scriptural awareness. It seemed like he was doing some leadership on the side. Uh, after class, I was talking to him and I said, well, you know, the time will come and we will spin off a life group from this life group. And so I'd like you to start praying about what you think your role could be when we do that. Uh, Ted, I have really enjoyed talking to you. If our listeners want more information on World Impact or on the Urban Ministry Institute, where do they go to find that? Right. So the general website would be worldimpact.org. Uh, if they'd like okay. to contact me personally, my email address is tsmith at worldimpact.org. And I'd be glad to interact with anybody who had a question or wanted to chat about their ministry context. Perfect. And we'll make sure to include those things in the show notes. Ted, I'm just blown away by your passion, by your wisdom, by your insight and in all of this. Thank you so much for being on Productive Ministry today. You're very welcome. It's been a joy. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. It's our prayer here at Productive Ministry that you are challenged to equip leaders in your community. We just want to thank you for everything that you do every day to spread the gospel to a lost and dying world. Don't forget to like us at facebook.com slash productive ministry and follow us on Twitter at Productive Ministry. The complete show notes are available at our website, productiveministry.org. This podcast is brought to you by Rumble Media, LLC. Our producer is Timothy Jenkins. Help us out by sharing this episode with a friend. And as always, we hope you have a productive week.